welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. All right, well, Leland, you've been wanting to talk about this ever since, really, the school year ended for our schools back in the spring, going into the summer, and I have kept you at bay, but it is finally time to talk high school football, so let's bring in the expert on Virginia high school football, Matt Hatfield. And we have Matt Hatfield joining us again on the Yak Sports Podcast. Matt, thanks for joining us. Uh, It does mean a lot to Leland and I when you come on and humor us and educate our entire audience on not just what's going on here with our schools, but everywhere in the state of Virginia and the kind of key players and key schools they need to be thinking about. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. And I thought the humor part was going to be what happened on August the 18th, where I lost my phone in a swimming pool. So I was going to tell you things have been going <laughs> swimmingly, but uh, you don't want to hear that crazy story. I'm sure your, your audience would rather hear more football talk than my troubles, like jumping in a pool with a phone. So, Well, that let's, was, that was such a bag. <laughs> let's just go from smallest to biggest. Let's start in 1A. Um, Riverheads is... On a mammoth streak, they have the longest active win streak in the country. They're going for potentially the record and longest winning streak all time in the state of Virginia uh, if they can get past Lord Botetot. Let, But who are the challengers if there are going to be any challengers in Class 1 for Riverheads? Sure. I think the, the first one that comes to mind is the last team to beat them in the playoffs in class one. That's Galax. It always seems like it is the Riverheads Galax invitational to get to the uh, championship, if you will. Uh, and those two are always just really pretty much on a collision course. They have some players to replace. And we know there's some changes at Riverheads, but not really that many changes because, you know, obviously Ray Norcross has been there for an awful long time and they have Caden Cash back to run the football. But in Gillax's case, you know, Shane Allen took over for Mark Dixon, who left to go to Pulaski. He's running through some health issues, but they're going to have a change uh, under center at quarterback. But they're still going to do a lot they do. You know, Mason Cox comes in at QB. I think he's more than adequate to uh, get the job done. They also had Tommy Jones battle with them. They'll run the football well. Their defense is solid. There are a couple teams, though, out west that I would caution people to watch out for. Uh, Holston was very close. They're still very defensive driven, but I'm not sure they get out of that region 1D. Uh, Grundy's got a really good ground attack with Ian Scammell. He's a 2,000-yard rusher. And anytime you can have a player that's like a 2,000-yard type of back, we saw it in Class 2 with King William last year with Damon Claiborne, who's now at Wake Forest. That player can maybe put his team on his back. They have a very big physical offensive line. So they're a team to watch out for. And also keep an eye out for King and Queen. Uh, King and Queen has another dynamic player leading the way for them. Actually, really two of them. Not only do they have a uh, very, very talented running back to hand the football off to at King and Queen that I think can make a big difference, but their quarterback, Malik Holmes, is a young man that in three seasons, guys, has put up just some monster numbers um, to go with Cam Berry in the backfield. I mean, Holmes has literally accounted for, uh, in three seasons, we're talking about uh, 5,000, check that, 6,200 yards, and he's uh, accounted for 73 touchdowns. So he's a big-time, dynamic, dual-threat guy. And then one more team I would circle besides the King and Queen uh, I, I, I like a lot in Class 1, and that is um, Northumberland. I don't know that they get out of that region perhaps with Essex, but they have a young man who's a four-star player going to Tennessee in Cam Selden. And in three games in the abbreviated spring season, he had nine touchdowns. So you do the math. If he's able to play a full season and stay healthy, he's a guy that nobody can account for. Wide receiver, running back, touching the football – 
He's a player that if they got through that bracket with Essex and King and Queen and come out of the eastern side of the state, they could be really dangerous because they have a player who's just a mismatch difference maker. So there's a few teams to watch out for. When it all comes to, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, push comes to shove, I still think we're looking at Riverheads and Galax squaring off in December for the crown. So last year when you were on at this time, uh, you know, I think I approached you with the, like, bring me back down to earth. You know, I'm saying that Riverheads can beat uh, Lord Botetot. And then Riverheads did beat Lord Botetot. And mm -hmm. uh, I think opened up a lot of eyes across the state um, to what a lot of us local people know is that how, how good that program is and what kind of level they're capable of playing at. Uh, what's your view of the game this year? I mean, my, my personal view, and I, I've said on the podcast in weeks before, is that, you know, it's not any easier this year. I don't think last year, you know, uh, make, makes this look like this is that much easier or anything. And on, honestly, I think it just makes uh, Lord Botop more ready for Riverhead's push. What, what's your thoughts on that game? I hate to make this analogy, but I'm going to. It's a little bit to me like the Virginia Tech Old Dominion game that's coming up in September. And I say that because of this. No – Old Dominion beating Virginia Tech about the same as Riverheads beating Lord Botetot. But the, the thing I would say is when Virginia Tech uh, lost to Old Dominion, I should say, a few years back, one of the reasons was because of their own shortcomings on defense and pass coverage. Old Dominion did a great job to win that game, but it was not a great Old Dominion team. Lord Botetot's defense was really in a mess last year to start the season against EC Glass, against Riverheads. If they've straightened out some of those issues defensively in terms of tackling and coverage, I think more so tackling in that game with Riverheads. The coverage was the bigger issue uh, against EC Glass with that passing in the George White company. But if they can tackle better in that game, they stand a much better chance uh, to win and snap the streak just because they've got a really dynamic player at the quarterback spot. You guys know him, Jakari Nicely, who ran for close to 2,000 yards last year. So they're going to give Riverheads some trouble defensively, as they did last year anyway. So it could be a shootout type of game. I'm just curious to see if Lord Botetot's defense, taking nothing away from Riverheads, who did a wonderful job. They were physical. They blocked well. They ran the ball. They did what they do. Um, I'm just curious to see if Lord Botetot's defense can step up to the, the task this time. And I have a feeling they might, sort of like we saw when Tech – you know, got Old Dominion in its place in Blacksburg, and most people expect them to get them this time in Norfolk. I don't think they'll have as many breakdowns defensively, so I think it's going to be a much closer game, lower scoring game, not a game played in the 50s or 60s, if you will. All right, so moving up to Class 2. Last year, Keen William beat Graham in the final. A good game we watched there in Salem. Uh, I mean, it was, it was the game got spread out, but a really physical game. Um, what are you looking at in Class 2? I know Keen William lost a lot of talent. Uh, who do you looking at as like favorites? Are we are we back to the Appomattox talk? Uh, is Graham going to step up? I know they had a lot of um, talented uh, individuals in their team. What are you looking at in class two? Well, making people have to go to Virginia Preps to subscribe to see the number one team in our top 10 countdown. This was, I will say, it was the hardest of our six divisions to put the number one team. And two of those three teams you mentioned, Appomattox, despite the graduation loss of Trey Long, their star quarterback who started since he was a freshman, and Graham, despite losing Xavion uh, Bradshaw, who was just a dynamic weapon, we know about the son of Ahmad Bradshaw, Brody Meadows, huge lineman up front, they're still well-stocked with running backs and talent there galore. Um, another team to watch out for that uh, I could see winning the whole thing is Ridgeview. Ridgeview's got some really talented players on the offensive side of the ball. They can throw it, they can run it, they're balanced. New head coach, though, leading the way in Dwayne Stanley, so I, I want to see how that adjustment goes. Uh, I think it's going to come from out west, taking nothing from Stewart's Draft, Clark County, Central Woodstock, who really had a nice uh, emergence getting to the state semis last year, and they return a lot of pieces despite their offensive backfield graduating. I think the western side of the state is where the power is in Class 2, and I don't see that one individual player 
quite of the ilk of a Claiborne to put his team on his back in two, like we saw a year ago, or even in class one this year to maybe challenge a Riverheads or Galax. So I think King William's going to take a, a step back a little bit. I put him number nine out of respect to what they did. They lose not just Claiborne, but some linemen, some other All-State players, their quarterback and Javion Robinson. So that matters a great deal. And another team I'd watch out for out West is Radford because they have a big-time playmaker committed to Virginia Tech and Marcel Baylor. So there's some teams out West. I think it'll be a very interesting playoff, and it could really change throughout the year our top ten and some of the favorites as we go along. But Appomattox is usually a safe pick because they've done it before. Veteran, well-schooled staff led by uh, Doug Smith. He had the health issues, and Stephen Costello came right in there, and they didn't miss a beat. And they've got a couple of big-time FBS players in uh, Tavorian Copeland, uh, Vatek Commit, and also uh, Jonathan Penix. Class 3 ended up being kind of an exciting classification last year with Phoebus topping LCA, a team uh, that was very good. But you also had Brentsville making their first state playoff appearance in school history, which was kind of great for them. And Abingdon was in the mix as well. Are we looking at another Phoebus title in Class 3? Or do you see who are, I again, I know you want to drive traffic to Virginia Prep. So I'll just ask you, who are your, give us uh, your Mount Rushmore, your four teams to look out for in Class 3. No, I'll give it to you. I'll tell you this. Good question. I, the number one team in Class 3 of all the six divisions, the easiest for me this year was Phoebus, who was not our preseason number one last year. Um, they really looked, I looked at them in the offseason. They look better defensively. They got a new quarterback from Nance River and Nolan James is really good. Their running back is returning in uh, Ty Taylor, and they are stacked at the wide receiver position led by Jordan Bass, who's a 6'3", 6'4", physical, massive-looking safety who's got Pitt, UVA, Vatek on his list of uh, consideration choices. Uh, before I give you the Mount Rushmore, I do want to put apologies to Brentsville and Abingdon, two reigning regional champs that I have snubbed from our top 10. Wow. They're both very good. They both have bullets and board material, and they can prove me wrong. I'm already disrespecting them, and if you look at Abingdon's schedule, they might very well be 7-0 and or 8-0. and They have a very relatively manageable schedule though that mountain seven where they got union and a couple teams could challenge them late. So want to put that apology out there to Abingdon coach Amberge and also coach Lauren white there at Brentsville, but the Mount Rushmore, I think you have to put Phoebus up there. I think you take two of those teams from the Seminole two to three, whether it be Brookville, Liberty Christian or heritage of Lynchburg. We've got Brookville and LCA higher than the heritage of Lynchburg at the moment. So take, take two of those teams. And that leaves me with one wild card spot for the Mount Rushmore. If I can cheat and have five here, it's going to come down to someone else from the East that might challenge Phoebus. you got Hopewell, a recent two-time state champ, and Lake Taylor, a recent three-time state champ, beat Stonebridge in a higher division, beat uh, Salem in Division Four when they were there. Had a little bit of a down year, but remember, Hank Sawyer's done this before. He's no newbie on the scene. He had a down year before he won a state championship in 2012, and he has a six-foot-seven freak of nature of a wide receiver in Elijah Washington, who they call Moss. Uh, he's going to make one-handed catches all year long. If Lake Taylor can stay healthy and avoid depth issues, they could maybe give Phoebus a run for their money. So I'll go Phoebus, I'll go Brookville, I'll go LCA, and flip a coin. Hopewell heads, tails Lake Taylor. Okay. I like it. All right, class four, uh, Verina beat Broadrun last year in a close game. Uh, you know, we always look at Salem as being one of those class four favorites. Um, I assume they're going to be back up there in the talks again to, uh, this year as well. But tell us about Class 4. 
Well, Ruan has got some transfers to augment what they lost and, and what they have returning as far as the, the, the key pieces back, like Kavion Keys, who's got his list of big-time schools, North Carolina, Penn State. Their quarterback is returning in Miles Derricott. The backup, who's a freshman or sophomore, I forget, I watched him at ODU 7-on-7. Seven seven. He's not bad. So if Derricott's not healthy, they won't miss a beat if they have to go to the number two quarterback. They're the favorite. But class four is pretty deep, two through 10 or 11 in, in the state if you're to rank them. There's not a lot of difference there, not a lot of disparity. So Salem, who's been there before, they've got a history of championships. They're very good, a lot of speed from their track team. Um, so they're going to be fast on the edge. Dinwiddie was in a recent scrimmage I watched with Green Run from Class 5, Oscar Smith, the running Class 6 two-time champs, and they more than held their own on both sides of the ball. They're transitioning their starting running back to quarterback this year, and Harry Dalton, who was a freshman at tailback, now a sophomore at QB. And then a few teams to watch out for. Kings Fork, very young, but extremely talented with a sophomore running back in Javon Ford. He's one of the best in the state. Uh, Louisa, uh, they got one of my favorite defensive linemen in the state, and Quentin Spellman, a recent Towson commit. Uh, they got a freshman linebacker behind them who's not bad, and their quarterback, Landon Wilson, can sling it. And EC Glass has got the ability to throw the football. I think 4C might be the most up for grabs of those four regions, uh, both with coaching changes. Broadway had a coaching change with Coach Griffiths. Uh, retiring, and then right here at the beginning of August, Coach Wheelbarger stepped down at Tuscarora. So those are two of the heavyweights out at 4C. Really up for grabs there. 4B is deep. King George has two stud receivers that are uh, in the class of 2024, Makai White and Chance Wiggins. So uh, if you get out of 4B, you're doing something good, and 4D is no slouch. So I think whoever comes out of those two regions are the favorites. Probably Verona and Salem, although if they got picked off because of injuries or somebody gets hot, it wouldn't stun me. All right, going to class five. It's class five, so I'll let you have a top five this time. Give us Ooh. give us the five teams in class five that our listeners, when we are doing the state championship broadcast in Salem, as long as Riverheads doesn't stumble, uh, they'll hear us talking about ahead of that game. Well, four of those five are locks. You can almost take them to the bank guarantees. Really three of them for sure, I should say. However you want to order them, one, two, three, Stonebridge, Holland Springs, and Maury. They've established themselves the last few years. They're all dominant. They're full of talent. I'm not going to bore your listeners to tell you all 25 Division I prospects each of them have. <laughs> They're all very, very good with, with great coaches and Mickey Thompson at Stonebridge, Lauren Johnson at Holland Springs, and Doreen McCain at Maury. Interestingly enough, though, Two of those three break in new starting quarterbacks. I think they're more than capable in the case of Stonebridge and Maury. Highland Springs with multiple options at quarterback, Christian Martin back. So if you want to give somebody an edge, maybe Highland Springs with also that, that motivation of losing twice close to Stonebridge could have the edge this year. And plus, they're never outmatched athletically. Uh, Green Run, speaking of athletically, they're as fast and as athletic as anybody in the state. If they're disciplined and they can run the ball and stop the run come December, which was their issue in the state semi-loss to Maury, then they have a great chance because at a wide receiver position, they match up with anybody, anywhere, anytime, and they have a new quarterback in Kevin White who can sling it and might throw for 4,000 this year. The fifth team is kind of a battle, and this was a, this was a toss-up for me between Kempsville, where I once went to school, didn't put them there. Wow. Mountain we call, View. We call him a homer, too. We called me a homer. for. No, he said he, he didn't put him there. That's the difference, Leland. Yeah. <laughs> didn't put him there. Daryl Cherry's done a great job turning around, much like you guys know about with Waynesboro in the state. Mm-hmm. Big yeah. turnaround. Kimsville had a 63-game losing streak, longest in the state, and they were a whisker away from going to states last year. Remarkable job by Daryl Cherry. Got a Duke commit and Coran Boyd, and also a kid that goes by the bus, a.k.a. Jerome Bettis and Naquan Washington Pierce. Cue the uh, Chris Berman for me. But I'm going with Mountain View just because I think Coach Sorrentino, a Hall of Fame coach, a little bit more experience, 
I feel like they're really seasoned. The only problem for them is they got to run into Stonebridge at some point, right, in that region. And I think the Commonwealth teams will have them a little bit sharper metal-wise come playoff time. Syracuse committed running back in Mike Daniel. So I'll give a slight edge to Mountain as the fifth spot over Kempsville. Watch out for Riverbend, too, with a tight end going to Penn State and Matthias. Mega Barnwell. Whenever you got Mega and the bus, it's a good list. And Class 5 is the deepest in the state this year, even deeper than Class 6. Love it. Wow. So talking about those biggest schools in the state, Oscar Smith, you know, is always on the list there. They won the state championship last year. Uh, take it on James Madison, uh, and, and they took care of them pretty well. But let's talk about Class 6. Who, uh, who has something going there? Well, Leland, like I said in class three with Abingdon and Brentsville, let me put my apologies out here uh, right out front and center to Coach Counts at Madison. I left you out of the top ten. Uh, don't think anything bad about your program. I just feel like you lost too much in a Concord district where you have Centerville and Westfield and Chantilly that's really tough. And Northern Virginia's got the power there in class six. Even though Oscar Smith is a top dog, everybody's chasing. And they've got some question marks this year for the first time in a while. New quarterback to replace Ethan Vasco who's at Kansas. New running back to replace Kevon King, who's at uh, Norfolk State. And they are deep at receiver. They still have some studs on defense, but they lost some key guys up front in the trenches. And Martin Woodsma, who's at Old Dominion. Caleb Jones, their monster on the defensive line, who's now at Navy. So Oscar Smith seems vulnerable. The problem is finding who's the team that can beat them because it feels like a lot of those teams are equal in Northern Virginia and possibly their competition locally. Tyler to Richmond with Thomas Dale, Western Branch, who are on the come up. It just feels like when you walk into a building, much like you have with Riverheads and Highland Springs and Stonebridge, just that Oscar Smith aura and that mentality, that winning mindset, that culture, that environment. Sometimes teams are defeated or down before the game even starts. And I just feel like Chris Scott's going to have them right there at the end. Those sophomores and freshmen, he's going to be playing a lot, won't be true 10th graders, 9th graders by game 11, game 12, game 13. So I still give the nod to Oscar Smith. Watch out for South County. Uh, They're very balanced on offense. Their defense could be better. Uh, Freedom's got a lot of playmakers and speed on the outside. Centerville has a 2,600-yard running back in Isaiah Raglan, who's going to Villanova. And they've got coaching up John Shields, who was the defensive coordinator during Westfield's run of dominance. So Centerville's a team that you watch out for. They beat Oscar Smith many years ago. Their kids believe. Uh, And there's a couple teams like Colonial Forge and Patriot Lake Braddock that could be in the mix there. So, you know, Class 6 could have some twists and turns along the way. Oscar Smith still the team to beat, but I do feel like the two teams that are most intriguing to me to watch out for are Centerville because they've got some history and it feels like that they've been building for this year with a senior laden class. And then Western Branch, who's in Oscar Smith's district, they have maybe the best receiver in Tywater and Paul Billups, who's going to make his announcement soon of either Michigan State, UNC, or Virginia Tech, and the running back in Shamik Blizzard. Always good to have a running back named Blizzard when it gets colder to come November, December. They could be, you know, a team that's on the rise trying to knock off Oscar Smith and could pull off, a, you know, an upset in a lot of people's minds. So those are two teams to watch out for in Class 6 as we get closer to playoff time. So over overlooking everything in the state, you you brought up a lot of teams that weren't in the state playoffs last year that, that you know, fell short in like a region championship or before. I want you to pick your one, the one that you're most confident that wasn't in the state playoffs last year, didn't play in a semifinal or final last year, What's the one team in the state that you would have the most confidence saying that's my lock to come off the board and win a state championship this year across all the classifications? Lock to win a state championship. It's like Ooh. the most, the most lock. The like, you the know, best chance. The person that takes the book from last year and says, "Well, those are the favorites." What's the team that would surprise them the most? 
Well, I'm going to go Homer and say Kemsville. No, uh, <laughs> I do like Kemsville. I would, I would love if you went yeah. Homer. I could use some Well, just for a second on that, I'll give you two other teams that I actually like better than them, though I like Kemsville a lot. The one thing I'd say about that is the team they lost to was Green Run. They led by 10 in the fourth – led them by actually 10 in the first half by a touchdown in the fourth quarter. They played them uh, close twice, and it feels like they play them coming up here in a season opener. They'll probably play them again in the regional championship. So that, they are a legitimate team to get to the state playoffs. I just can't – Vision of beating Maury, Highland Springs, and Stonebridge. So once you get past that one hurdle, it's like three monsters waiting for you. So that's the problem to win the whole thing. Same could be true for Brookville in Class 3 because Brookville didn't win its region. It was Liberty Christian. That's a tough Seminole Region 3C. Problem is if you get through that, you still might have Phoebus waiting for you in December at Liberty University. So I like Brookville's team a lot. I think Coach John Meeks and his defensive coordinator, Dane Washburn and company have got a great team. They're doing a lot of good things. The team I'll give you, though, is Ridgeview. Ridgeview's been building for a few years in Class 2. They had that running back, if you recall, uh, Trenton Atkins, who went to Toledo, was setting all kinds of records, 6,000, 7,000 yards rushing. They're a little bit more pass-driven than run-happy this year. Uh, they have weapons to throw the football too, and I think if they get out of two D, where you've got Graham as that monster, I think if they get out of that with them and Union and a couple other teams lurking, uh, this could be a time for Ridgeview to take the bull by the horns and maybe take down an Appomattox and a state semi and win the whole thing in two. Because if you get through the region and the semi, that East might be a little bit of a I wouldn't say a letdown, but not as fierce a game for you this year. So if I had to pick one, I'll take a I'll take a shot on Ridgeview on the board. I like it. We're going to talk to you about Ridgeview in December. That's that's the one we're definitely going to come back to. I, I just maybe Kemsville too. Maybe maybe Kemsville too. Maybe you'll be right about all of them that you brought up. I, I hope you are. Uh, you know so much about all of them, and it impresses me so much. I do want to pull you back a little bit more local. You you mentioned uh, the what sparked me on that is you mentioned Waynesboro, and you've recognized you know this team that you know they had a couple years where they made the playoffs there with Derek Daniel as head coach. Then they dropped back off and had some winless or minimal win seasons, even forfeited a game because they didn't have mm-hmm. enough players. Here they were rising last year, uh, took their lumps in the front-loaded Shenandoah district season, and then went through their old Valley district and non-district uh, games and, and had a great run. You know, what, what's our, what are your thoughts about Waynesboro and, and their potential this year? Well, I think the thing that jumps out at me is when you have a coaching staff change, and Brandon Jarvis has a history of being in winning programs, then he's assembled a staff with them. Even I don't want to shout all of his assistant coaches, but I know one of them in uh, Jonathan Helmick, who's like his recruiting coordinator as far as handling some of the kids, getting attention for the next level. I think there's organization, and that's the same thing we've seen with Kempsville. When you have new coaches and new culture breeding in that success of we're going to do things a certain way and kind of change the mentality and mindset, it matters a great deal. They've got some good 2023 players, Ryan Barber, Blake Jones, but their 24 and 25 classes are very good with Emerson Miller, Xavier McCarthy, Cameron Williams. So they've got some players that you put on watch lists and you see how they develop and unfold. If they get a game or two early where you pull off an upset, it could really open some eyes. And now they start going from being a team that thinks they can compete to winning that big game. I spoke with Daryl Cherry going back to the Kemsville coach recently at their scrimmage against Oscar Smith. They scrimmaged Oscar Smith, which was a big deal for them. And it's like they're getting ready for a screen run game. And the thought is, you know, last year we went about to compete with them. Now you go into those big games wanting to win those games as opposed to saying we're going to compete with them. So right out of the gate, when you've got the likes of the Riverheads and the Stewart's drafts on your schedule, even a Buffalo Gap who's no slouch in class one, if you go into those games saying we're not here to compete and play with you, we're here to go beat you, and you get one of those games then the whole entire identity of your program changes. So you get one of those big signature wins early on. It just builds you for the rest of your season, gets you in the playoff door, and beyond that for those kids in those 23 and 24 classes. 
So you mentioned the really quickly here. Um, you mentioned Stewart's draft in particular, and that's kind of the team that Leland and I, I mean, we're the local guys. We were kind of surprised to see them exit the playoffs as early as they did last year to Central, and they lost kind of a lot. I mean, Aaron Nice is a big blow to that team. What do you think the odds are that that's the game Waynesboro has circled on the schedule? I mean, look, I know Riverheads is the first one. They're not going to overlook anybody, but Riverheads is still, I feel like, a class ahead of everybody else here in the Shenandoah District. But I coming into the season, Waynesboro, I could see them maybe being the second-best team and draft I have on kind of an upset watch there in week two early. No, it's it's true. It's a good point, Joe, because there's there's talent at the quarterback position. There's youth in the backfield. They, they like their linemen. But if, if you have an area, a position on the field, it could be a skill spot. It can sometimes be in the trenches, but a skill spot where you're not up to snuff and your opposition scratches that weakness early on, you get behind in a game. Now you take a Stewart draft out of your element. If you're not, if you're down that game 21-6 or 14 donut, now the game that you're used to playing with Aaron Nice and how you dictate the tempo and flow of the game, it's completely different. So that, that's something they don't want to see happen. Um, ultimately, I think Stewart's draft will, will find its way. And, and coaches don't like hearing this, but if you lose one of those games early on, it can give you a little bit of a refocus and show some of those younger kids, look, you're not the group that got to the state semifinals, that got to the state championship. So in some weird way, it can be a blessing in disguise if they got picked off early, depending on how they respond from the adversity they're going to encounter, should they encounter at some point early on. And with all the classification talk, we'll just ask, your number one takeaway from the realignment plan and the storylines around that so far? I mean, I think that there's so many appeals that, that hearing from different coaches and people, there's a little bit of a, a murkiness and unclarity to it. Uh, you know, there was obviously appeals with Riverheads, Liberty Christian, what are they doing? I know in, in the Tidewater market, Deep Creek, are they going to be going up to five? They want to stay in division four. I think the biggest one that, that I got was actually the class six. If Oz, Oscar Smith and Highland Springs are in the same region, boy, that is something else to have that. And I think this also begs the question. We talk about it sometimes with spring and winter sports, specifically like your football. I mean, with your, like your basketball and your baseball. Do we get to a point where the VHSL says you have two powerhouses like that in the same region? Do we do something to cross bracket it to get two teams from a region in it? Because you have regions I don't mean to be mean here, but there are regions you want to call it one year a 3B or a 1B or you know a 4C that aren't as strong as others. And you're not always getting the true measure of the four best teams or at the very end, the two best teams playing for the state championship. So they have to take a harder look at that. And I think the biggest thing I've taken away from it, and I don't know how the VHSL feels, the administrators, uh, the athletic directors, is the coaches want to have some say in this. I know that you have to do things based off your realignment numbers, enrollment. But the coaches have not had as much input, and I think it's frustrating them more and more that they're not clued into some of these decisions that are being made and how things are going. And to get their input and pick their brains a little bit on how we can make things better, more equitable, and even more enjoyable for the fans, the players, the coaches, everyone involved. Well, Matt, I love having you on. Every time we have you, you just you shoot off so much information in, in such a quick amount of time, and your knowledge of the teams in our area always impresses me because – I sit here every week staring at information in our teams, and you still seem to you know that and more uh, from that from our area and across the state. So I always appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, good luck uh, with your coverage this season. I know everybody will be clicking over to Virginia Preps 
uh, to see these articles you're talking about, but also, you know, get on those message boards and say nonsense uh, like they do on those message boards. So I appreciate all that you do cover in high school athletics and coming on this podcast. Hey, Joe, Leland, it's a pleasure. We always enjoy the fun, the nonsense. Uh, keep up the great work you guys do for uh, high school football, high school sports in your neck of the woods. And maybe next time we come on, we can talk about some law and order, which you know I always love. Hey, Here we yeah, go. always good. We, we were battling the clock this time, so we appreciate that. Have a good one. Take care, guys. Thanks again to Matt Hatfield. And again, if you aren't already, make sure you're on Virginia Preps. If you're subscribed, you can get access to all those articles he alluded to. He is going in-depth on the top 10 in each, each classification. So for our local fans, Class 1, Class 2, even Class 3, that's where you're going to get a lot of information on these teams from around the state and your teams. But then also... If you're just a fan of high school football, want to know where the next great college stars uh, that are going to be from Virginia are playing and how they're doing in high school before they get to college, yeah. he's your man. It's a great website. If you're unfamiliar, you need to get familiar. I mean, that's, that's just a staple of high school football right there, virginiapreps.com. All right, Joe, let's dig into the local stuff. This, this is what I've prepared for. Uh, I'm, I'm not prepared – to talk about Hopewell as much as Matt Hatfield is, mm. um, or Kempsville. Uh, but uh, let's dive in. We're going to go through team by team. Everybody's going to get uh, talk about here. So stick with us here as we're going through them. We're going to start. We're going to go in order of how people finished last year. And so that means starting with where uh, with Riverheads, where we left off. And uh, with Riverheads, you know, you talk about the consistency that they've had in that program. You had Coach Robert Casto there for. 26 years well now a coaching change and and this coaching change stuck it wasn't just a three-month coaching change it was one where we're actually going to see a different head coach coaching a game but it's not that different it's coach ray norcross coming in he's been the defensive coordinator for the entire casto run he was with the program before uh casto was head coach before casto got there he went to school at riverheads he's an alum so he absolutely bleeds red and now it's his team. But all the early indications are he's looking to run a very similar ship. And, and why, would, why wouldn't you? You want to keep things going the same for a team that's averaging 45 points a game and only giving up 10 points a game, for a team that hasn't lost in the last 50, for a team that's won the last six straight, straight state championships, why would you change it? So they come in. Obviously, Caden Cook-Cash is that star player that everybody's talking about. We've been talking about him since he was a freshman. He's still only a junior. Um, it's just it's going to be more of the same for Riverheads this year as when we talk about winning, but it's just the drama of the season of how, you know, how are they looking early, especially with the switch up at head coach. And then also the 50-game win record will be on the line. Uh, um, every every game. They were trying to go for 51 against Waynesboro, 52 against Perry McClure, which would tie the state record, and then 53 that would break it against Lord Botetot, who, respect to all the other opponents, Lord Botetot does look to be their hardest opponent of the season. Yeah, that's that's the game, right? Right. That's, that's the only game on the schedule, barring a series of injuries that Riverheads needs to worry about. No offense to anyone else in the area here. No offense to anyone else in class one around the state. But you don't have a prayer. Like, it's Riverheads, and then it's Lord Bonita. That was the big game last year. Riverheads ended up pulling away. 
winning in a pretty dominant second half for them. And then, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with Matt Hatfield there. It, the question is, can Lord Botetot improve enough to beat Riverheads this year? Is Riverheads, did they lose enough where Lord Botetot's going to be able to maybe come up and surprise them? I am sure Riverheads is going to be prepared for that game. I said last year I thought they were going to get run out of the stadium. I was dead wrong. They absolutely hung with Lord Botetot in the first half, and then in the second half pulled away from Lord Botetot. Uh, and so I think this is not only the toughest game of the year for Riverheads, I think if you're in the area, uh, you know, barring that you have a kid playing at another school, um, this is the game to be at. I, I think there is no other option. So, to, like, look at that game for a minute, and then I do want to talk about the rest of the schedule. But when I think when you look at that game, I I do think there was a physicality factor that happened in that game last year that I think surprised Lord Botetot. I think Lord Botetot, okay, Riverheads has won a lot, but they haven't they haven't played boys as big as us yet and as tough as us. And very early in that game, Riverheads made it very clear that they were ready for that challenge. And I think that surprised their players. I think there was some mental aspect going along with the physicality there that kind of took over that game. And, and when they came out in the third quarter and Riverheads still just punched them right in the mouth coming out of the second half, that it, it made them look at things different. They will not be surprised like that this year. That said, last year they had a lot of talent on that team. And not saying that they don't have a lot of talent on, on the team this year, but a lot of that talent is gone and gone to the next level, D1 level, going to Virginia Tech, two of them. Other players going around the state. I, I do wonder if we just are kind of at an evened out situation here. Lord Bonnetot's not going to be surprised by the physicality. They're going on the road into Riverhead's territory where their radar might be a little more on than a home game um, like it was last year. So I do think I just don't see the, the shifters that much in any direction. And for a game last year that was tight at halftime, very tight at halftime, I think it can be tight at halftime this year and tight late this year. I, I don't necessarily just assume because I say things are the same, the score will be the same. I think that game could go very, you know, similarly tight-wise. I'd be surprised if we're in as high scoring like Matt Hatfield alluded to, but I could see it being very tight the whole way. So I, I you know, of course, nervous for Riverheads in that game being, uh, being the homer that I claim to be. Um, but I do think, everybody around the state won't be as shocked if Riverheads wins that game this year. I, I, you know, I think a lot of people will be picking them this year where last year it really didn't seem like anybody was. So uh, I do think that's the game circled on the schedule uh, for Riverheads, but you say no one else has a chance. I, I do say Stuart Straff plays Riverheads better than any other team in this area. Last year, they were the two closest games of the season when, when they played each other, they know each other too well. So even if Riverheads has won every time they faced each other since 2016, so they're on a run right here, beating them. That is the team that knows them the best. Now, Draft has all kinds of questions. We'll get to that when we preview them. But they play them in the last game of the season like they have a lot in these last recent years. Stuart Straff won't be figuring out who they are in game 10 of this season. So they're going to know who they are. They're going to come to Riverheads with their best attack. So as much as I'm not really saying your point's wrong that Lord Botetot is the only team Riverheads worry about, by the time we get to week 11, game 10, you know, Stuart Straff will be a team for Riverheads to, to worry about because they, they know him so well, and, and uh, Coach Floyd always has his team prepared to play against Riverheads. So when we get there, we will talk about that game and, and have some chance for Stuart Straff to – this is the path to victory. This is where Riverheads can be seen of 
maybe a weakness here, a weakness there. This is what's working for you, Sir Jeff. We'll have that conversation, but until we get there, yeah, Lord Botetot's the only one. That's fine. You could say that. Um, maybe you're right. I am more worried about Stewart's draft week two than I am Stewart's draft against Riverheads right now. I, I don't worry about what happens if a unicorn barges into my townhome. And right now I am not worried about what happens if Stewart's draft plays Riverheads. <laughs> I do like the opener here because I think it's the two biggest stories in the area. I know Stanton has a new head coach. We'll talk about him. But Waynesboro is getting all the all the buzz. And that's why Matt Hatfield brought up Waynesboro in our talk before we even asked him about Waynesboro is because Waynesboro has the buzz that they, they're on the rise. So I like them playing early in the season. Do I think Waynesboro is going to win that game? I don't. I But I no. I don't, you know, I, I just assume Riverheads go undefeated like, like most people do. Uh, but I am – excited about that game we'll be covering on espn 1240 the boss and it's the two biggest stories in the area right out of the gate getting to face off early and i think it's good for waynesboro to kind of get that game out of the way is hey this is a as hard a team as you're going to be seeing this year you know legitimately i mean they they might if they make it deep into the playoffs maybe maybe i'll eat my words but during the regular season they're not going to see somebody tougher than riverhead so i like that not only get that measure and stick in there early, but also get it out of the way early. So if it doesn't go the way that they all want, because I'm sure they're all in the locker room this week with their plans to beat Riverheads, and they should be. They should go out to that game thinking they can win. But get that out of the way so then they can go into the next game with confidence, with, hey, we took on that challenge. You know, maybe early they're in that game. Um, maybe they have something to build off there, and, and they can go into that second game. But we'll talk more about Waynesboro later. But Riverheads, um, the main story – Caden Cook-Cash coming back. Uh, he's a player that had 29 touchdowns last year. He had a large amount in the spring season last year. He's, he's on his way to break the school uh, touchdown record, which wasn't uh, set that long ago. It was set by Zach Smiley. So he's the main man back. But Luke Bryant, he's that other running back that's going to be leaned on on this team. He's the, he's the player that came alive in that third game of the season last year against Lord Botetot. And, you know, he's a second-team All-State defensive end. Um, he was an all offensive, all purpose, second team, uh, Shenandoah player. So like people have realized what he's going to be able to do so that that one, two punch of those two wing backs, uh, is going to be very important for Riverheads. I think one of the questions is what's fullback going to look at like, that's one of their biggest losses is losing Cole Burton, uh, to, to graduation. He was, you know, an all state level player. You know, what are they going to have at fullback? That's such an important role on that Riverheads offense, what that fullback's able to do. And I want to know, you know, who's going to own that position this year. I went to the scrimmage the other night. I saw a couple different guys running the football from that position, and they look good. I'm interested to see, you know, once it's official, what's going on this Friday against Waynesboro, who's running that fullback position, because that's going to be very important. Yeah, I, I don't have much more else to say on Riverheads, because I know we need to, <laughs> we need to move on. Um, and, and talk about, some we'll talk teams. about them a lot this year. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Stewart's draft, right? That's the, the team that finished second last year led yeah. by coach Nathan Floyd again at the helm. And as much as I don't give them any chance to beat Riverheads, um, I do think they're going to have a nice game in the opener against William Monroe. I think it's important that they come out and kind of control that game. Cause last year it was a game that technically ended in a no contest. Um, and I think just that was due to weather, um, but I think they kind of need to come out and set the tone, right? Because they need to, they need to silence people like you and me up. We have some doubts on what this offense is going to look like. I think the defense could probably be okay. Maybe, 
not 15 and a half points per game good, but, you know, under 20 points a game, probably. But my main concern for them is on offense, not because they don't have other players that are talented, but because so much of their offense went through Aaron Nice. I just don't know how you replace that many yards, that much production. And I do think the offense is going to take a slight dip. And so it's important to come out, pound William Monroe, get the confidence up, because you don't want to go into that game against Waynesboro with any doubts in your mind. Yeah, and this is Coach Floyd's ninth season, and I think he's proven consistency. You know, they even when they drop back a little bit after some early success in this run uh, of his nine-year uh, period there, they didn't drop all the way to the bottom. And so I don't see them dropping really even much at all right here. I think, you know, you're looking at an eight and two, seven and three kind of bottom here for Stewart's draft. Um, and even looking over this schedule, they don't play Riverheads twice this year. Right. Advantage for them. Uh, they're going to play a Greenbrier East team who I saw uh, scrimmage Riverheads the other night. Stewart's draft will take care of that team, no problem. But the offense is definitely the biggest question. This is a team that averaged 31 points a game last season, and it was on the back of Aaron Nice. And uh, when it wasn't Aaron Nice, it was Xavier Grigsby doing something crazy with the football or something like that. Simeon Balls are running the football well. And all those guys are gone. Every name I just said is gone. So the only name, you know, the Landon Graber, the freshman quarterback from last year, he's back. But this is a team that doesn't prefer to throw the ball. And so what, uh, how is he able to use the little bit of throwing that they're going to do to open up that offense for some running backs that we're not as familiar with yet? So I'm really interested to see uh, how that goes. I think you can look at names up front like Chris Watkins and Kyle Coffey. Um, very early here to, to establish the run game from the offensive line. I think those guys success will help us learn some of these running backs that will be filling in the void of Aaron nice. And it'll, it'll go from there. Uh, I did like what Isaiah uh, bell did last year. He got some touchdowns late in the season that was helping spread out that offense. He is back. So that connection uh, from number 12 to number 20 is still going to be there. So offensively, you know, those are the names we know, but there's a lot unknown offensively. Defense, I'm really not worried. I actually do think they might, you know, I think they might be closer to 15 points a game than 20 points a game uh, this season. If they're not, if they are closer to 20 points a game, I think that's when we start talking about them being a 7-3 and three football team. I think they're going to lose, you know, more than just the Riverheads game. And and like you said, that Waynesboro game early could, could be one of them. So uh, I do think this defense, though, brings back a lot with Troy Thompson, Deshaun Brooks, uh, Coffee up front. Um, you know, Fannin Vance uh, used to play quarterback. He's a, a fierce guy on defense. His name gets called a lot in these games. So I, I think it's going to be really important for them to keep that defensive number low because I'm just not sure that they'll keep their offensive number up. Yeah. And again, I think you're right that if it's closer to 20, we're talking seven and three. If it's closer to 15, like it was last year, you know, potentially nine and one. one. Yeah. Potentially yeah. nine and one. Um, it's just for me, Again, I just think having Waynesboro on that schedule, if Waynesboro is going to take that jump like we are kind of expecting them to do, draft needs to not have question marks. They need to know what they're doing. They need to just be 100% confident and 100% sure in everything that's going on. And there were times last year that I just didn't feel like that was the case with Stewart's draft. And so it's it's why I'm a little hesitant to just say they are for sure the second best team in the Shenandoah district this year, when in the past that hasn't been a problem. Yeah, I, I agree. Looking kind of, I know we talked some like 
season, uh, postseason stuff with Riverheads. I do want to do that with students draft here. I do think Central takes a step back, uh, and I was surprised draft lost to them last year. I do think, you know, we can talk about Waynesboro up here early and what else can happen in this district. I think they're going to be strong in 2B. I really do. Um, kind of despite, even even if they're eight and two, even if they take the two losses during the regular season, I still think they're going to be very strong in region 2B because I'm just not sure who I really believe in up there. East Rock might be back, um, but I don't think it's going to be central. Clark County could be up a touch. That's a team they really dismantled in the playoffs last year. Um, so Clark County, one to watch. East Rock, one to watch. Um, I'm not a believer in Lorray this year. So I, I didn't like right. how things went last year for them. So um, yeah, I think Stewart's draft has a great outlook on the season, no matter what happens here early. I know we keep throwing, I, I Stewart's draft fans are going to take it to shade. Um, but, uh, I think that's because it's, it's credit to Waynesboro, not anything against Stewart's well, draft. Well, it's credit to Waynesboro, but it's also credit to the expectations that we've had for Stewart's draft in the yeah. past. I mean, we have, the past few years, it's been just, put them on the frankly, yeah. they're at least number two and we'll see yeah. if they can beat Riverheads potentially. Um, yeah. This year, I don't think they have a shot against Riverheads. I know you're talking about, you know, end of the year, they're going to be clicking on all cylinders. It's going to be a great game. Okay. Riverheads going to be clicking on all cylinders, too, and it's not going to be a great game, in my opinion. But we'll see when we get there. We I, I just, I think what we're used to seeing from Stewart's draft is this clearly dominant team when it comes to their peers in the Shenandoah district is, is just frankly, I don't know if it exists this year. And I kind of need to see it. Um, with the amount that they lost. But like you said, Coach Floyd tends to reload, not rebuild. Yeah. So right. if he can do that again, then sure. The nine and one is very realistic for the Stewart's draft team. I just think seven and three is more realistic than usual. I do want to point out something to watch for, um, kind of all-time stuff. Coach Floyd, only uh, it only looks like five games away from passing Coach Tom Goldforth's record for most wins as a Stewart's draft head coach. Uh, go for sitting at 66. Uh, Coach Floyd active there with 61 wins. So that's something to watch out for this year. Very much assume he's going to hit that this year. Uh, and credit to him for doing that. And he's done it pretty quickly. Um, so that's that's a cool record for him to have at a school that's had a lot of success in football. I know I know we get drowned in, in Riverhead success, but Stewart's draft, you know, of the next best group of, of, of success in the area in high school football, Stewart's draft in that group. They've been in state playoff games. They've been in state championship games lately. They have a history and uh, coach Floyd's putting his name right up there with all of them. So credit to Stewart's draft and coach Floyd there. And they open up with William Rowe on the road. Let's look at Buffalo gap who also played in a region final this year, played against riverheads and uh, coach Brad Wagon in his fourth season, um, he's gotten in playoffs all the years that he's been there. Uh, last year, eight and four, getting to that uh, state, to that region final game against Riverheads. And, and that was a thing that during the middle of the year, you could kind of see coming with Buffalo Gap. Hey, they're a strong team. Um, they had lost early to Lorray, but we thought Lorray was for real. But we, we thought they would have that strength in Region 1B, proved to be true. Um, obviously, falling to Riverheads is something they did twice last year, uh, unable to score against Riverheads last year. So uh, tough that way. But you know, this is the only team in the area that isn't returning their starting quarterback. And from what we saw in the passing game last year, I'm, I'm eager to see how their passing game can kind of change with someone else leading that offense. We did see um, 
Curtis Lowe, he, he did good things from the quarterback position a lot of times with his legs, but he led a good offense, and it's not really downing him in any means. But they have this weapon on the outside returning, Luke Tinsley, senior, taller than everybody, a wide receiver out there. I, I want to see how they're able to take advantage at quarterback of getting Luke Tinsley the ball on the outside and getting him in positions to catch touchdowns and, and get points on the board. That isn't just Dylan Alfin beating them down, beating you down the field, which he can do. But I'm interested to see, you know, what they can do at quarterback with a different name and uh, see what they have there. Because I think if you throw a quarterback at this, then, you know, we're going to see them right again, right back at the region championship game again this year. Well, right. And this is, you know, we've talked about Waynesboro already and we haven't even officially talked about Waynesboro, but <laughs> Buffalo Gap is that other team, right? That is up there yeah. in that race. I think it's a three-headed monster in that battle for second with Stewart's draft, who we just talked about, Waynesboro, who we're going to talk about, and Buffalo Gap. And you're right. I think the quarterback is what could really set this team apart. I, right. If they have just a mediocre passing game, Luke Tinsley will make that a an above-average passing game if the quarterback can just get the ball in his general vicinity because he right. has the height advantage. Because he, in addition to being taller, will go up and get a ball and then run away from defenders. He is a phenomenal talent. Buffalo Gap has got to find a way to get him the ball more because, yes, Dylan Alphin's going to run you over. Jeffrey Hildebrand can run around you. But you need that threat to keep people from just crowding the box like they do every time they play Buffalo Gap on like, okay, you want to run the ball, that's fine. When you play the Stewart Strafs, who have a great defense and can just shove guys in the box and match you at the line, and you play the Riverheads, who can do that to you, how are you going to try to throw something at him that's going to catch him off guard? It needs to be with the passing game, and it needs to be to Luke Tinsley, who can absolutely be somebody who can take the top off of both of those defenses at times. And I, and I think Buffalo Gap knew that problem last year. I think that's why we saw some of the decisions they made early in the season. I think by late, obviously, they knew what they had. But I think even early they knew, hey, we're playing a running back at quarterback here because that's the, the talent we have on the field, and we're trying to get everybody out there that has the talent. I hope they've been able to develop an arm since then. I've heard they have a JV player moving up that is – more capable of throwing the football than, than we've seen them use in these last couple of years. So I'm eager to see that. I, I wonder if it'll be that kid. I wonder if they're going to mix time, but I, I am interested to see what happens there. Looking at their schedule, open up with James River. I think a game that they're favored to win, especially at home. Uh, they really took care of James River last year. Um, Lorray is that game. I'd like to see them get back. That was a tight game, 13, 12 ball game last year. LeRae started out 4-0, 5-0 on the season last year. We all thought they were for real, so we, we excused that loss. Well, then LeRae goes on the rest of the season to lose every game in their district there. And I, I, I'm just not a believer in LeRae, so I think Buffalo Gap has to win that game. But then moving ahead two weeks to that East Rock game, that's a game I start to you know wonder if they're going to be able to knock that team off because I, I do think East Rock's going to be back on the rise with their new head coach. So I think they could be in a similar spot this year midway through the season. That mid-game of the season, that game five for them, is against Waynesboro. You've already talked about that. That's one of those where are we going to finish games? You know, that's, that's right. the three headed monster there that you're talking about. So I think they're going to be three and one, maybe four and zero going into that football game, rooting for four and zero in that football game. Cause uh, I think Waynesboro will be, you know, proven itself by that point. They'll have already gotten through the Riverheads and draft games. I think they'll be looking to really prove what they are 
and uh, that'll be an interesting one. And that was a game Gap won handedly last year. Yeah. And we were kind of disappointed with Waynesboro at that point because they had already shown a little interest. I Even in the losses early for Waynesboro, I, I took some some value in that. Riverhead's game, They uh, the quarterback looked good. Second game, that he was injured. After that, they looked good. So I think that Gap Waynesboro game might be the game of the season in the district where we usually give that to Riverheads and Stewart Stroud to the end of the season. I think their gap Waynesboro right now is the game has my biggest circle on it. Maybe. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. Um, I, I don't disagree. The the biggest difference there, and I do think it's a and it's an advantage that Buffalo Gap hasn't necessarily lost, is in the trenches. They dominated Waynesboro at yeah. the line. And Waynesboro just right. had nothing, no answer. They couldn't stop them. I'm not sure that that has changed. So that that could help Buffalo Gap there. But you did mention East Rock. I kind of agree with you. I think they're going to beat LeRae this year. Um, but East Rock is one I'm not so sure they're going yeah. to beat again. Um, but, yeah. man, what a gauntlet they have in that middle of the schedule with Waynesboro, Riverheads, Draft. That That's the big yeah. three, and you play them all right in a row, right in the middle of the season. It's going to be uh, make or break time for Buffalo Gap. We'll know what they are. Yeah, I and this is a team, and you know, if anybody from their fan base is going to understand what I'm saying, if there's any players listening, maybe take it to heart. This is a team that we've seen get in some bigger games, and there's just those on the field mistakes, uh, usually with a penalty involved, um, that that end up killing them. And we just need to we need to see that leave Buffalo Gap. It's it's carried over. Uh, it was before Brad Wagon. It's still there. And I'm not saying it's necessarily dirty play, but it's just these penalties that just don't make sense. And they're always at the worst time. I just, they just got to be gone. I hope that was a point of emphasis in the offseason because I, I think that um, that Wayne's, that Wilson game two years ago in the spring, that was the, a game that that absolutely cost them. And uh, I, I think there was times last year where I could see little mistakes. Like the Stewart's draft game, there was some penalties in that game. You were calling that one on the radio. And, and there was penalties that affected them there. So I, I want to see that gone from Buffalo Gap. And I think that could improve their win-loss record if they do. I agree with you. But let's talk about Wilson Memorial now. Uh, Coach Drew Bugden. Wilson's going to be sitting here like, wait a minute. You said the gauntlet of three, and you didn't say our name. Yeah, and (laughs) look, this is no no offense to Wilson Memorial. I just don't think they're there, right? I I haven't seen – I don't think we're going to see the jump that we're going to see from – Waynesboro and a large part of that is Noah Campbell Skylar Whitting those are two guys that absolutely controlled games for Wilson in their wins those guys are gone now Ryan Mundy great guy to have back Nathan Goff fantastic linebacker to have back can Pagorski take that step he completed under 50% of his passes. That's got to be improved if Wilson wants to be in that conversation and be, you know, make it a four-headed monster. I'm not sure that we're going to see um, the kind of growth that I'm expecting from Blake Jones at Waynesboro. And that's kind of why I have Waynesboro and not Wilson in that three-headed monster conversation. Um, they open up with a, a bye, actually. And then they'll play Monticello. I think they're going to be fine against Monticello. Rockbridge is a game that if Wilson Memorial wants to open some eyes, that's got to be a win. That's got to be a win because I don't necessarily buy Rockbridge County this year. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. They have a new coach down there as well. Uh, they they open the season with four games against 3C opponents, and they're in 3C. 
They need to go three and one in those games if they want to feel good about the playoffs. And, and I'm worried about that for them because they did stub their toe against Rockbridge last year because I think Waynesboro is going to be improved. And I think Spotswood's going to be improved. And that was a game that they kind of had to pull away late for them last year in, at, at Spotswood. So I am very closely watching the Green Hornets there. Drew bug, uh, bugged in there third season. He's nine and nine since he's gotten there. He has coached through a mess since he's gotten there. So uh, not going to completely hold him to that. But they've had some success. That spring season was great for them. Last year was great for them. But I, I am wondering what's moving them forward this year. You take away your two biggest threats with Noah Campbell and Skylar Whiting. you got to have the senior quarterback step up and play like a senior return, returning quarterback. That's going to be the key to their whole offense. Defensively, giving up 30 points a game, not good enough. Not good enough if you don't want to be the seven or eight seed going in that three seed playoff. You're going to have to do better. You know, you know, we we as media people kind of say you're going to lose to Riverheads and Seward's draft. Well, you lost to Buffalo Gap last year, too. And, and we're thinking Waynesboro's up. You can't lose both of those. You're going to have to beat Waynesboro or Buffalo Gap. And you're going to have to go three and one early. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of going to go perfect for you. That's that's kind of what we're saying. I, I think Western Alamar is going to continue to be a tough matchup for them. I like it on their schedule, but I think it is a tough matchup. Um, but if you are who you want to be, you are, think you are, those first four games that they play in the first five weeks of the season got to be three and one. Maybe I didn't hear you right. You want to say what you're thinking about that Western Alamoral game again? I like it on their schedule. I don't think they're going to win it. Oh, yeah. I, I don't mind them I having like the game on the schedule. Game. Yes, I, I, like, I like them not being afraid to schedule difficult games. But, yeah, they're yeah. not going to win that game. Western Alamoral is just up from being a Class 3 team. I, I think it – presents, you know, a very, very good three class three team. And that's because they're class four. I think that's good for them to see in the non-district. I like it on their schedule. I like, I like that game for them, even though I think they're going to lose early in that game last year, they were in it and they shot themselves in the foot. And I think it was uh, coach Drew Bugden kind of claiming some responsibility for some of the decisions made on fourth down in that game. I'd like to see them not in those opportunities and maybe get that game uh, competitive later and uh, see what you have, have a shot. I don't think they will. Um, because I just think maybe Western Albemarle might come out ablazing because they return a lot of talent over there from a team that was like twelve and two last year or whatever they were. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I think uh, Ryan Mundy and Blake Rogers are the two bigger uh, other names that we're really going to talk about offensively. But it's all on Progorski. I really do. I really do think it's all on Ryan Progorski. He's got to be a senior proven quarterback for them this year. All right, well, let's talk about the team we have mentioned a lot. They're the team getting the most buzz, have maybe yeah. arguably the most pressure on them, which is <laughs> kind of surprising. Yeah, it went from it went from uh, it went to pressure all of a sudden. You yeah. know, it, and I think Patrick Hyde. I said this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Patrick Hyde's biggest questions of the season, and uh, you know, can Waynesboro live up to the hype? I think were, the, were Patrick Hyde's words, and I think it's true at this point. Everybody's talking about him. Everybody's predicting them to win more games than they did last year. And it's because they closed so strong against all those Valley District opponents last year. Yes. And, well, not only that, but I also think what they're returning has the highest ceiling in terms of growth. They've got Blake Jones, who, you know, rumor is he's been going to a lot of camps this summer, and he's looking great. If that's true... This could be the second best team in the Shenandoah District. That's the that's best case scenario. That's the ceiling. The floor, though, is absolutely fourth, maybe even fifth in the district again. If if Wilson takes that step that 
we're yeah. giving Waynesboro credit for. Um, because they're they're going to open up with Riverheads. You know, nothing against Waynesboro. They're not going to win that game. Um, it's Stewart's draft, a team that last year they got blown out by. But again, we've touched on draft loses a lot. Waynesboro brings back a lot. Can Waynesboro get ahead of Stewart's draft? Like Matt Hatfield said, can they get up early on Stewart's draft and take Stewart's draft out of their comfort zone? They don't like to pass. Can they make Stewart's draft have to pass the ball? If they can, that's advantage Waynesboro. If, if Stewart's draft's able to get an early lead and just milk the clock and run the ball down Waynesboro's throat, then, yeah, it could be a long day for Waynesboro, and maybe we're recalibrating our expectations for the Little Giants. But at, even after those first two games, let's say they do start out 0-2. Then you're looking at Fort Defiance. It's a game that I think is going to win. You're looking at Wilson Memorial. We'll see what happens there. Waynesboro, Wilson Memorial, kind of like Stewart's draft, lost a very high percentage of their offense. I think is going to have enough to win that game this year at home. So I've got them now 2-2. Two and this is right now, you know, if they drop the first two games, which we'll see how I feel when week two comes around. Stanton is a win, I think. Buffalo Gap is that big game. It's the big game. And Rockbridge is a game they lost last year. They cannot lose. Cannot lose no. to Rockbridge. You've got to buy before that game. Have to find a way to win. Absolutely I, have to win that game. Because I'm not I, sure I about Spotswood. Yeah. I think you have to win that game because I'm, I'm still worried about TA and Broadway down the stretch. I'm not. You know, I, I think they beat them nope. last year. So you just think they dominate the Valley games, no doubter. I think Waynesboro is going to be better than they were last year. Those are not – the Broadway game was tough. I think they beat Broadway. I think they beat TA. Um, Spotswood is who I'm more concerned about other than uh, when I look at their Valley district, frankly. I, I just – I look at that stretch of four games in the Valley district and can imagine them still going three and one. I think the loss would be to Spotswood. Okay. Well, that's the reason to beat Rockbridge. Same same logic, just you said a different team's name. Right. They lose Evan Seitz, one of the big weapons that Blake Jones would try to find out there. Deshaun Gamble was good on both sides of the ball, kind of a playmaker. Um, Messiah Barber, uh, the Spencer kid on the, D, on the defensive line. All that is lost, but they bring back so much. Blake Jones and Ryan Barber are the best quarterback-running-back tandem in the Shenandoah District returning if Riverheads wasn't in the Shenandoah District. I, I mean, I had it built up that, man, look at these two guys come back. And then I remember, oh, yeah, there's a Dunlap and a Caden Cook-Cash coming back at Riverheads. So take them out of the mix. Past that, you got Blake Jones and Ryan Barber, I think, setting themselves apart because you don't have Noah Campbell at Wilson anymore, and he was so dominant last year. Ryan Barber, great on the stat book last year. I think he finished the season with the most, the regular season with the most yards, um, second in touchdowns. So he had a great year. You'd like to see his yards per carry up a little bit. You know, we look at Riverheads and they, they return two guys that averaged over 10 yards a carry um, in their backfield. You want to see Ryan Barber get his average, you know, you know, above 10 yards of carry and, and further. And, and that's really what's going to help this offense move and allow Blake Jones to have those opportunities to receivers on the outside, like Emerson Miller, uh, like Omir Foster. Those are some guys that he's going to be looking at. So all that'll be good. You had the Taylon Henderson kid coming back as a senior. He was a first team Shenandoah player last year. He will be again this year. He's going to help on both lines, protect his quarterback and make it, it tough for the opposing quarterback. So those are the guys' names on Waynesboro this year that are going to lead them if they're going to be better. And I, 
I just do think they're going to be better. I, I've said it every which way. They lost in the opening round last year to Heritage. I want to see them in a better playoff position this year where they have a much better chance to win an opening round game. I don't want to see them in that 7-8 spot. I want to see them 6 or higher. And, uh, you know, if they go 4-0 against those Valley District teams, we're probably talking about them hosting a playoff game. So I, I'm interested to see that happen for this team. That It wasn't that long ago they had their little blip of success. It was uh, 2014 that they went on that playoff run. Um, I, I mean, they started five and five, but then went on that playoff run, but then followed up with other winning seasons there, uh, or, you know, at least five and five seasons, uh, go into the playoffs the next three seasons. So I want to see that for this program that they were left for dead like two years ago, uh, you know, in that 19 season, they just, you know, they didn't have a chance. And, uh, I, I'm eager for them to have success and sustain success. And I think coach Brandon Jarvis is doing a great job there early. And I want to see a payoff for him. I do too. And I think this is a big year for them, but let's move on to Stanton and the storm new coach, Michael bell in his first season taking over for Jacob Phillips. Uh, And really this is a team that um, coach bell is going to have his work cut out. It was a, it was a rough year last year at three and seven. That being said, they have a bye week to start week one, so it's an extra week of practice before you get into the season. And then those first two games kind of set up pretty nicely for him with Covington and Page County. And and we talked about, I'm not a huge believer in Rockbridge this year. My only question is, I don't know if Stanton is 39 points better than what happened against Rockbridge. Um, so... But that's a game that, hey, if if Stanton is clicking and things are going, they have weapons, right? Like they, Walker Darby is a good quarterback. Walker Darby is a very good quarterback. You just have to give him time. You just have to give him a little bit of time. Any time last year, every time we covered him, he didn't have time. He he led the district by far in passing. He had twelve hundred yards passing. The next best person had seven hundred eighty one. He was the uh, second uh, second team quarterback in the district. He had 13 touchdowns. He can do it for you. You just got to give him time to do more of that and 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 give him a running game. I thought last year they they never really settled into a running game. They had a couple different guys running the ball. I I do think they had injuries and guys off the field for other reasons last year that they need to not have. And I think a fresh the freshness at Stanton excites me. I I like that Coach Bell has been on the staff for so long. He was there under Tibbs. He was there under Jerelmo, the, the, you know, the longest stands ever gone into the playoffs and go into that state championship game. And then he was there under Phillips, and, and I'm sure saw some of the stuff that wasn't going right for him and, and, and maybe saw the reasons why. And with a fresh voice at the varsity coach, head coach level, he's maybe able to address that. So I'm excited about what Stanton can do. My problem with Stanton is, you know, we're, we're going to talk about what teams can kind of improve on what they did last year. I'm just not seeing where multiple more victories are on the schedule for them. Uh, and that's the nature of this district. You know, they, they beat Fort Defiance in the district, district last year. That's the only one they got. Um, can they beat Wilson? Is, can, can they overcome Wilson? I think that's a tall ask. Can non-district, can they beat Harrisonburg? I, I don't see that happening. That was a game last year they did keep within reach. There was only a 16 nothing game. Uh, they held Harrisonburg to 16 points. You tell me that going into that week. I said Stan, might, Stan wins that game. They just weren't able to put any points on themselves. So 
I just don't know where multiple more victories are coming. My number one is looking at at Rockbridge. I guess my number two is maybe Wilson, and I don't like saying that. So I, I just don't see where they can vastly improve on their record. But if they improve at all, if they go to four and six from three and seven, huge win for Coach Michael Bell in his first season. And uh, you can really look at things moving in the right direction if that's able to able to happen. I mean, this is a team that went to the playoffs 14 straight years uh, through Jarelmo's time there. I mean, under Tibbs and Jarelmo, all kinds of success during the regular season, getting themselves into the playoffs, getting themselves a chance. They haven't had that since then. You need to reestablish that. And I think Coach Bell can be the guy to do that. I know uh, he's going to have to have good control of that team. And uh, I think he has a, a little bit of a, you know, militant style at his um, uh, his demeanor towards handling the kids, uh, you know, behavior and stuff. I, I think I'd like to see if that can work. I don't think Coach Phillips had that. Um, I think Coach Phillips is a great coach. I think he's going to end up doing great things over at Bath County. I'm happy for him to go home. But I do think a fresh voice, fresh approach in there uh, might help. And especially from a guy that that's seen success and less than success in these his time there on the staff. So moving on to Fort Defiance, looking at Coach Rolf, he's going into his 14th season there. They were 1-9 last year. Kind of like we just touched on with Stanton, looking at their schedule, I'm not sure where you pick up wins that you didn't get last year unless we're talking about Stanton. Um, right. And then we'll see what happens with Rockbridge. Rockbridge, the game was an exciting end last year. They ended up pulling it out at the very end. Kind of a really big pass play to win them the game. Um, that was a playoff team. I mean, they beat, it, was. it wasn't like they beat a Rockbridge team that really disappointed everybody. That was a playoff team that that beat other teams. They're a team that beat Waynesboro down the stretch. So, you know, they were able to get a big victory. I think a lot of those kids can go into the season with that understanding that they're capable of beating teams. But, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't see where the wins are coming off the page here. And and honestly, I think for Fort, you know, just and I, I don't want to crush hopes and dreams before the season even starts. But. Man, I, I think the ceiling is two. And the the floor is zero. I, I mean, I don't like Rockbridge, but I just need to see Fort Defiance. I need to see the offense be better than it was just flat out nine, nine and the defense. I mean, the defense has given up 40 points a game. The offense is yeah. scoring under 10 points a game. It's got to be better. It's got to be you better. Get both of those numbers closer to twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, TA, I, I don't love TA this year, but I'm no. not sure Fort's going to have what it takes to win that game. Liberty Bedford, uh, uh-uh. uh, Waynesboro, Liberty no. Bedford. Liberty Bedford is not a program that's in some kind of magnificent direction. They weren't very good last year. I don't think they have a lot of hopes of being a lot better this year. My problem is I look at that and Fort lost to them forty-two to nothing last year. So how do you how do you turn that around forty-two points? Yeah, and so it, it comes to Rockbridge, who, again, I've, I've touched on multiple times. I don't think it's going to be great this year. But you kind of needed a big play very late in the game to even win that game. So can you they, win they it again? In it sure. Yeah. Um, could you lose it? Absolutely. And, and then yeah. and then I just think the other teams in the district are going to be a problem for them. And, you, and you, you look at that next team up from you, that's Stanton. You lost that game by 20 points last year. That wasn't all that close. So I'm just not sure we're going to see the kind of improvement that maybe Fort fans are hoping for. Again, as we say with all our teams, I hope my ceiling projections are wrong and they go out and win all their games. 
Um, yep. But I, I just, I'm not sure with Fort that that's a realistic hope here. They lose Riley Miller. They still have uh, Trey Miller there, sophomore. He was quarterback last year. He was returning like the whole district has returning quarterbacks. Uh, Bradley Hebb is going to be a weapon, a young weapon that they go after. They're both of those guys sophomores. Then you also have Barb, the junior, uh, Carter Fink. Um, there's other guys. I remember seeing in the article there, uh, Coach um, Evers, uh, Colvin. Coach there was saying how uh, they had other guys there that they were really looking at. Um, uh, the Noah Michael and the William Brooks, uh, both of those guys uh, able to do something. Also the Armantrout kit. So this is a team, though, the whole story I heard last year, I uh, just wanted to get those names out there. I heard last year they're young, they're young, they're young, they're learning that Rockridge was supposed to be an indicator that they were doing better, and I think it was. But they're still young. <laughs> you know, they're still juniors. They're not senior-led by any means this year. Um, so how much did it pay off last year? How much did you get out of that? And I think, I think that they could be vastly improved this year. I really do. I just don't know if the record's going to show a vast improvement. I don't think when you look at one and nine and maybe a two and eight, um, and that that's what you're putting as their ceiling. I'm not arguing with you. I, I don't think that shows vast improvement. I just think, I think they're going to be better, but the wins, you know, when you're losing games by 40 points, you know, you can be better and lose them by 25. So um, hopefully we're wrong. I mean, this is a team just a couple years ago, surprised everybody and, and delivered back-to-back five and five seasons. That was great. I hope they do that. I hope they make us eat our words here and go five and five this year. It would surprise me, but I'd love it. But um, we just haven't seen something to grab onto to predict something like that happening because, because you only scored 9.8 points a game last year. So I hear you. It's, it's tough. It's tough. And I mean, and yeah, I mean, I talked about them, going five and five, they didn't even make the playoffs those years because region three is so tough. So to kind of review and wrap up this conversation, I, I want to kind of, we probably touched on these points here, but what team do you most likely think could improve on their win record uh, for the regular season uh, from last year? Riverhead's at 10 draft had, we'll call it nine. Well, they can't. Um, Yeah. Riverheads um, can't improve. I mean, they, the best yeah, they can Riverheads do can't is. Improve. We're looking yeah, down below match. this. Buffalo Gap had, was seven and three going into the playoffs. Wilson and Waynesboro went both with five wins. Stanton had three. Ford had one. Which one of those teams do you think has the best chance in improving on that win record? Well, I mean, I would be an idiot not to say Waynesboro. I've been talking about him all night. Um, I think Waynesboro has the best chance to improve on five wins. I agree. I would say Wilson is probably the next best to improve uh, their win total. I just think Gap is kind of, maybe they can get eight, but I think eight is, or I think uh, seven is probably the ceiling. And um, I've already touched on draft. Nine's the ceiling. And I think the floor, I think the floor (laughs) is six. Like, um, so well, maybe not six, maybe, maybe seven, but, um, I, I, yeah, I just, mm-mm. I, I don't think Buffalo gap is going to necessarily improve from seven. I do think Waynesboro is going to improve. I do think Wilson has a shot at improving, but I, I, maybe that's the Waynesboro Wilson game, right? I, the winner of that game improves yeah. the loser doesn't. Um, but I, I, it's going to be interesting. 
I really like Stanton to get one more win. I think they're going to be improved. I like their quarterback coming back. I think they're going to find one more win in there somewhere that surprises us. I usually give this kind of credit to Buffalo Gap. I, I, I just am not feeling that this year, so I'm going to give that credit to Stanton. They're going to win one game that we don't expect them to. So you got them with Wilson. four. I, 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 that's what I said. It's hard to find on the schedule, but I just think they're going to surprise us somewhere. Wilson is the team that I think might might go four and six. Might like mm. if I had to pick one team to win less. Oh, that's right. I was supposed to do that too, didn't I? All right, I said that. I said draft. On the bottom of there. I don't. I don't want to go to the bottom of that and say it's going to get worse. Wilson's that team. I'm just. I'm not sure. I saw what I wanted to see last year from the people that are returning to make say they're going to win more. And I also, I honestly think that maybe they win one less. I don't think it'll be two or three less. I just think four and six is kind of possible for them. And, uh, and so I, I mentioned those two teams, they play each other in the last week of the season. So that, that might just kind of be the difference there, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to pick that game today, but uh, looking past Waynesboro, we all think they're going to win more games than they, they have. I, I don't know how many more that means uh, because they went on a really great run last year and still only went up with five. I, I do think Stanton's the next one. I, I just really like him at quarterback. I like their weapons. Um, they have stars at defense. I, I just, they have to have a better team defense. Their team defense last year wasn't good enough for how much talent they have on the defensive side of the ball. I, I've seen Coach Mike Bell play defense. I think he can, can help that move it in the right direction and, and get that uh, average down from 34 points a game. they, they got to be closer to 20. They're 17 points a game if they – uh, scoring, if they improve on that at all, I think that adds up to at least one more victory. I, I can't tell you which team they're going to beat that I that we're not expecting. I just I'm giving my usual Buffalo Gap's going to win one more game than you expect them to. I'm giving that stand this year. Okay, that's Rockbridge. I guess Rockbridge is the one I'm most likely to think they beat that they don't. That's, that's got to be the one, different. right? That's, that's thirty nine point difference because I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's there, but it's got to be the one. Um, Okay, uh, and then Wilson, and then Wilson late is it will we'll, I'll I'll ride that one after week four. You can't yell at me because I'm gonna still hold on to Wilson late. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess that wraps up the high school part. College football does start technically. It's week zero. Yeah, yeah. You do have uh, Nebraska Northwestern. Are you like it's like I kind it's of am. Weekend. Yeah, I kind of am. I'm not I don't love the slate, right? There's a couple Real games. Happy to watch Nebraska and Northwestern play in London. Is that what you're excited about? I don't think they're playing in London, but um they're playing overseas. They're playing Are they really? I did not know that. I thought you were joking. <laughs> That's why it's a week zero game. Mm-mm. All right. Um <laughs> I don't I don't like that. I really don't like that for college. Keep that a pro thing. That's fine. Well, Notre Dame was supposed to go there in the year 2000. I, I no. can't remember what happened in the year 2000 that stopped that from happening, but I don't need that. Um, Ireland, excuse me, Ireland. I don't think. Oh yeah, they're playing better. in Dublin, Ireland. Yeah. Why? <laughs> That's weird. Um, well, I, I will say we're like, hey, world, look at college football. Here's look at this. Two giant ends on a uh-uh. on a scoreboard. Let's go. <laughs> um. I will say this. I, I am intrigued by that game. I am also intrigued by the 1030 game, Vanderbilt, Hawaii. You know, uh, 
what was that quarter? Brennan. Brennan's not quarterback for. Uh, That's Hawaii. fine. I don't need him to be the quarterback. It's been a solid like decade and a half since he has. Been. I don't need him to be the quarterback. <laughs> and then the NFL will start uh, not this weekend, in, but next weekend, right? In college, uh, talking about Hawaii's uh, offense because they had like a stretch there that they were so hot. That was like a code for amongst us, like at a bar. If if one of your one of our friends was talking to somebody he shouldn't be talking to. We'd start talking. We'd walk up to him and start talking about Hawaii's offense. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> the NFL starts in two weeks, not next week. Um, but anyway, let's okay. or the September eighth through eleventh. Yeah, I think after is what Labor it was. Day. What did I have a wrong note on there or something? No, I was looking at the wrong note. Um, yeah, real college football starts next week. Next weekend, whatever. Labor Day weekend is going to be the whatever. magical opening of college football we have a taste this weekend but next week's going to be magnificent we will have a preview next week we're supposed to have barber on next week to talk Mm -hmm. some college football we're excited about that we we always have great guests here at the beginning of football seasons because we bring in our go-to guys that know everything but yeah i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna watch the nebraska game this week i i just am not excited about it can scott frost keep his job into week two you know that's maybe (laughs) I guess you know you get left on the runway in Ireland. It's a lot different than when you get left in like Ames, Iowa. <laughs> That's true. You've got a whole other host of problems if you get left on the tarmac overseas in Ireland. Um, but what I want to say is, with high school football starting and technically college football starting this weekend, want to introduce a segment that our friend uh, you're going to hate it, but Rob. Our friend of the podcast, Rob, <laughs> wanted to introduce it, mainly because he thinks it's you're going to hate friend. it. You're going to hate it. Um, <laughs> called Jostradamus, where I give I you what I'm looking into and what I think are locks for the week. So, How many, how many of these are we going to get? 50? No, you're only getting three this week. Um, okay. <laughs> I think your high school lock, I mean, obviously I go with Riverheads, but I won't do that. I think Stewart's Draft is a lock to win this week. I know we kind of... Stewart's Draft fans probably don't love this episode. They don't love our review of what could happen to them this year. That being said, I do think they come out strong this week. I do think they beat William and Rowe and improve to 1-0. and And that Waynesboro game is going to be very exciting. I don't think you're that far out on a ledge on that one. Well, you're welcome. I'm not impressed yet. How about this? You're going to hate these two then. <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska Northwestern. What a segment. Nebraska Northwestern, Nebraska's minus 13. Mm-mm. Nope. I'm, I like Northwestern plus 13. I like Northwestern to cover. Woo! And then I Vanderbilt. Know, I we'll get Dan on the podcast again. With the- Vanderbilt is a six and a half point favorite against Hawaii. I like Hawaii outright in that game. There you Ooh. go. Outright. Okay. I'll take the I'll take those two because you're you're going against a line there, so it's a little it's a little those lines are there for a reason. Indeed. So Hawaii's a lock, is what you just said. I think Hawaii upsets Vanderbilt. That's because you know what that is. It's the SEC. It's them going to play Hawaii. Hawaii's not very good, but Hawaii is Vanderbilt is not the SEC, and they've got to go to Hawaii. You know the last I, time Vanderbilt played at 10.30? Neither did they. <laughs> I don't know if Vanderbilt's ever played at 10.30 before. 
What has Hawaii done these? I mean, Hawaii's been down, right? Hawaii always plays tough at Hawaii, though. It's Hawaii. Oh, uh, They're like gonna beat tough? Vanderbilt. Like, how tough are you when you're three and three and nine? Like tough. <laughs> They're Vanderbilt tough. They're tough enough to beat Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's not. Vanderbilt is not good. Vanderbilt's also not the SEC. Bowl games. Before 2021, they were in bowl games four or five years. So, yeah. okay, they haven't been down as much. I, okay, I, I, I'm I, not going to argue that one. Uh, for Dan's sake, I hope Nebraska covers at least. Mm-hmm. Or not. I don't. Or, what? Western favored, right? No, Nebraska is minus 13. They are a 13-point favorite. I just don't think Nebraska Nebraska can win by 13. I don't think – Nebraska wins, but I don't think it's by 13. Okay. I might have misunderstood what you had there, but that's fine. Okay, all right. So, I got you. All right. Um, I wasn't prepared for a a segment like this to, like, beat back with you with, like, well, you had three things. Here's my one that's actually going to be right. Um, So, I'm going to pick Riverheads. No, I don't. I'm not, <laughs> not like that. You want Buffalo Gap? Um, That's your other team. Buffalo Gap's out there. I yeah, could have picked beat that. James River. Ooh. Um, I don't even know if I have anything in the high school level. Um, I'll tweet mine before Friday, and then wow. next week I'll come prepared to combat you in this. Well, next week's better with better college football games, and next week we have plenty. But I'll I'll get something out by Friday just to have something on the on the board. And uh, so watch your Twitter, everybody. And uh, make sure you know what I combat you with your three things that very easily could happen. Like, that's well, that's that the crazy. point. I'm looking into the future. Crazy. I'm telling you what's going to happen. One's a dog, right. and the other one, I'm taking points. So there you go. All right. Um, you've been watching. I know you watched some games from William. You watched a game from Williamsport. Have you watched multiple games from Williamsport? No. I've watched a little bit, less than probably normal. I just haven't been in – I wasn't home much this weekend. I think that was the big deal. I could see myself watching some on the weekend coming up, especially being around, you know, watching the beginning of this exciting college football season uh, from Ireland. Um, right. But you watched the Orioles game down mm-hmm. there, and uh, I like that game. I like that they have it. I, I think I said that last year. I think it's a cool thing. Pittsburgh played in it a couple of years ago when it was kind of a newer thing, and it's like – you know, like the Beatles come to town because all the little leaguers are seeing all their major league players there. I think this year had a little, you know, maybe slightly better star power than some of the years have. Um, and that helps that the Orioles are pretty good, this, you know, playing a lot better this year. Um, but I like I like that game. I It's kind of – I make sure the TV's on that game, you know, and, and when when I can watch it on the big TV and have volume, I have that too. So I like that they have that game. Uh what what was your review? Have you watched any of those? I don't think you've watched that game much. I have. I watched the first one. I haven't watched many of the others. Uh, I did watch last night because the Orioles were playing, and it was on national yeah. TV, so I didn't have to, you know, look at another screen that's not my TV to watch it. Um, but it, it was a it was a good game. Uh, the Orioles ended up winning, which is the best part about it. Uh, it was exciting. Um. How do I say this? The best part for me was Buster only having to sit there and take it all in as the Orioles beat Boston, a team he loves. Um, we found out Buster only has been getting 
banned from Baltimore locker rooms when he was employed by the Baltimore Sun, which is funny um, and also not surprising. So he's just hated Baltimore his entire life. Um, but to be serious, like it, it was an Adley Rushman love fest and kind of justifiably so. When you put those numbers up there, you see where he compares with other catchers, where he's ranking among AL rookies. And mind you, the Mariners uh, rookie, Julio Rodriguez, was up kind of at the beginning of the season. Adley Rushman was injured at the beginning of the season and then took a couple weeks before he started clicking at the major league level. And now he is already starting to catch him in a lot of categories, passing him in some. So that guy is as advertised. Adley Rushman is going to be a monster. The question is, can the O's fill in those holes they need to in the offseason? And what happens the rest of the way down the stretch? I, I don't know if they're going to have enough to make the playoffs. I really hope they do. I'm just not sure it's going to happen this year. I think they are positioned perfectly for next season. I That's love I, mean. I love watching the Yankees collapse and having oh that's been fun you know yeah. watching Boone slam tables and, and get really angry um that's been amazing watching Garrett Cole have temper tantrums I live for it um but <laughs> it's it's really cool that the Orioles are doing well I was the most uh fans ever at the Little League game in the history of the game this year uh, they must have added bleachers every I mean I think yeah. it's been sold out every other year so they must have added bleachers so that's right cool. But, um, yeah, what did you think? I, I like the presentation. I've watched, I think, each one of them. Maybe maybe missed one of them. I think they said this was year five, so I could believe that I missed one. But I, I tend to watch it. I, I, I like that aspect of it. I think it shows you're seeing some of the reactions and the kids seeing their, you know, major league talent right in front of them. Uh, I think that's some of the highlights from the that I like about the Little League World Series. Like, those kind of attitudes, that kind of um, – showcase I, I like um you and i were watching at the same time when i think we both watched the whole thing uh they had the kids on uh that went viral a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. uh when the player got hit in the head scary mm-hmm. looking play but then he hopped up went to first then the pitcher on the mound is upset about it and uh he goes up to him and hugs him um what what's your view on that play I, there there's been different opinions on that exchange what is your view it's little league and i have no problem with what the kid did i absolutely loved it yeah i think <laughs> I it's it. i think it's great I'm raising my kid to be to be yeah. one of those kids like i'm raising my kid to care about other human beings um i've actually been disgusted with the beat back on it that like it shouldn't i don't shouldn't happen and it's weak and all that like i don't know how much kids. of that is serious and how much of that is just trying to get a rise um well, so, so most of Barstool Sports does apply there. Yeah, so. that's that's what I mean by that. I don't know how much of that is serious and how much of that is, let's say, something to get traction and have people talking mm. about it. Um, I would hope that's what it is because I just it's Little League. Like, no kid's yeah. professional career is going to be made or broken here. Like, And plus, I've seen Major League pitchers, like, communicate after mm-hmm. play. I haven't seen them hugging each other or something. And that's, but, like, I've seen them communicate, like, yo, my bad, or like, you all right, you know, that that kind of stuff. Like, it's not unheard of, even at the major league level, where it's their job and their livelihood. So, yeah, I, at, at this level, I think it's great. And uh, I don't know, I'd be proud if that was my kid, either one of them. I, I'd, be, I'd be proud if my kid was upset on the mail that he just hit a kid in a, in a scary way and, and reacted, you know, is reacting to the seriousness of that pitch. Like, I, 
I, I will take them either one of those boys being my son and be proud of them. And, uh, and they've come out of it well, and they've, you know, handled interviews. I think <laughs> hopefully we've gone full circle on it because I think last night it was highlighted that they've probably had enough of this attention and let's move on and let them go back to being kids. But um, I, we hadn't talked about it on here, so I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah, it's not the Buster only way, though. So, um... <laughs> hey, former President George uh, George W. was there. Yeah, he was. With and the, Rod with Manfred. The, uh, with the, uh, yeah, with Manford. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it was, I, I actually enjoy seeing uh, George Bush around now because I think, uh, trying to stay out of political fray here, but like, I think the former president role it's an interesting thing. You know, you, you're the most popular man on earth for a time period while you're president. You know, everybody knows your name. Everybody knows what your face looks like. So I think it's interesting how post-presidency goes. Um, I, I just have always paid attention to that. And, you know, you got Jimmy Carter out there building houses and um, I don't know. It's just interesting to see what old presidents do. So, I, I, you know, seeing George W. Bush show up at a baseball game, especially a Little League baseball game, just seems kind of fitting. So I, I thought it was cool to see him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I thought, um, I think he is very much enjoying post-presidency life. Um, sure. And, you know, he's and he heavily no involved with baseball. Right. He's heavily involved yeah. with baseball. So that's why he's there. Um, yeah. And then Rob Manfred's up there and, you know, in today's political climate, it's hard to find somebody maybe more polarizing than a former president, but. ESPN did it. So, um, congrats to ESPN. Uh, but, but I mean, W is a lot less polarizing than he used to be. So I, right. I, I think, I think, it was cool I think past president can do that. Um, but yeah. Uh, and Pat, uh, past presidency, I mean, being post presidency in your life. Yeah. I mean, cause people just stop caring. Um, yeah. but I also wanted to bring up with, uh, soccer going on that um we can't i knew we couldn't avoid one without a soccer talk yeah liverpool lost they lost it was bad (laughs) they lost to a team in man united who's their rival has struggled mightily all year i was making fun of them i said a thing to you and rob like just laughing and then today i was just like oh not great um i i don't like where we are right now i do not like it at all we had two draws and this loss that hurt um I'm not going to fire Jurgen Klopp. Like, it's not, I'm not that serious, but um, it's not going well. And we got to change something with the lineup, and some guys are going to have to start playing better, or, you know, we're going to have to fill in some roles. Yeah, I saw the score, and I knew you weren't going to be happy. Um, What I noticed today that it was interesting was uh, I didn't know Obi Wan season two was coming in so quick. I know when they set out for Obi-Wan season one that it was like a limited series. And I think their intent was only one season. And from what I understood, what they did during filming, when they decided that it was going to be a season two, that they kind of saved some stuff and and whatnot. So um, it must have been at least in the back of their minds somewhat, especially for it to come out this quick, because I... I, I'm excited that it's coming out this quick. I know you're not excited about it at all because you don't need the story to be told. But I almost kind of, 
I understand your point. Like I, I understand your point of why we don't need Obi-Wan season two. And so I rather let's just get it out of the way. Cause then we can get Mandalorian back and that's a story that can take us in different directions than we even know. And uh, cause we know how Obi-Wan ends. We know where no, we don't. And- no, we don't. Because they're going to mess this up. Because that's what they do. In the name of making money, that they're going to mess it up. That's what they're going to do. They've already started doing it in season one. The fact that they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be a limited series. And then they're like, wait, we have a cash cow. Let's make it. Let's make two seasons. Oh, and then let's just take the scraps from season one that weren't good enough and throw those in. Like, man, they're doing a great job selling me on season two. My, here's what I hope. Story- I hope season two is a tire fire. I hope it's <laughs> awful. It gets ripped Panned universally, and Disney loses money on it. And then they just give up on the project. That's what I want. Because otherwise, they're going to drive it right into the ground and just keep on doing it. If, if there's enough people out there that are like, oh, we just want more Obi-Wan. It's so amazing. Oh, it's so great. They can't mess anything up. Ah. Shut up. Get out of the way. You're clowns. So the last time they had that situation happen in the Star Wars universe, it was called uh solo yep the Hong Solo movie and that's what kept them from making the obi-wan movie that they had teed up and it was going to be the storyline that we've already seen including some of what we're about to see so they already had this story put together both sides of it back then and then they held off and then they pared it down and let's do this limited series but i think they had to have it in the back of their mind if they were this capable of this quickly moving to a season two i think uh, they must have had it in the back of their mind. So, like I said, I, I'm glad it's coming up quick and also then get out of the way of Mandalorian. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you on that. Tell, tell stories. Story at a snail's pace. I don't know how they could make a season three because there's only so much tale to be told until we're going to get to episode four time. So I, I hear you. And, and that's my thing, right? Like, do the Mandalorian. Do stories that you don't have canon tied to. Like, why, why can you not just tell a different story? Why is that so hard? Well, they are in, in, in Mandalorians, so I like that. And yeah, I'm, and that's I going well. Like, do that. that. Do more of that. Don't be they like, are. hey, we've got to fill in every single gap, and then, oh, by the way, we're going to step on each other because we have no actual plan for what we're doing here other than we want to steal all of your money. Like, I don't – that I hate. That I hate, and – I, 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 that's my problem is I just, I don't trust the people in charge there to do it correctly. So I want it to fail hard in season two, just like I kind of want the last season of stranger things to just be terrible. Well, Joe rooting for failure. There we go. All right. I have had. A lot of fun this episode. It'll finally get into unload my high school football talk. I can finally maybe have a normal conversation with my wife uh, the rest of this week where I've already got some of this out of the table and I can stop breaking down, you know, what Stanton's going to do this year at dinner. And uh, make sure you listen to us Friday. We're going to be on a little extra on Friday. We're going to start at 5 o'clock with the pregame show so we can get it all covered in the pregame. And then we'll take you right up to kickoff. At 7 o'clock, we'll be at the Waynesboro game where Riverhead's coming there. So make sure you're tuned in on ESPN 1240 The Boss. You can hear Joe and I talk with Chip Crable and cover those cover that game, and then we'll be on there all season long as well. Uh, make sure for the podcast that you are interacting with us at Yak Sports Pod. You don't like one of the opinions we had? Let us know about it. 
Uh, if you think we're not giving any one team in particular enough respect, let us know about it. We want to hear these conversations. We, we want to know what you're thinking about here on the sports that matter to you, the Augusta County sports fan. Uh, subscribe to us on Podbean, Apple, Google, and Spotify. And the main reason we tell you that is so you can tell your friends to look for us at Yak Sports Pod on any of those venues for podcasts. And we'll be back next week to break down week one of the high school football season and look ahead at the college football season as it will really get underway. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.